Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchanges podcast as part of the Women in Manufacturing series. I'm Andrea Olson. I'm here as always with Desiree Grace, and we're continuing our talks about bad bosses. We're going to get into some of the even worse bad bosses. Do you think maybe we've gotten them all, but there are many, many more. And so, Desiree, how are you doing today? Ready to talk bad bosses? Oh, I'm ready to talk bad bosses, Andrea. I hope our listeners will find some helpful tips and tricks because we've saved the worst for last. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. You know, and one of the first personas that, that we had actually been talking about and going back and forth on that we've both experienced is what we're calling Bobby backstabber, right? Everybody has crossed Bobby at some point in time. Desiree, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with Bobby Backstabber? Yeah, you know, my Bobby Backstabber was the boss who you could never predict. Jekyll and Hyde, nice to your face, and the next thing you know, boom, he's telling people you can't do X when he told you the morning before you did a great job doing X. And those types are tough. You got to keep copious notes. You got to document, and as I've said on many occasions before during this series, cover your backside with paperwork, documentation, and emails, but you know, you and I had talked, sometimes you got to confront the elephant in the room. What's your thought on that? No, I totally agree. You know, I, I personally have experienced that same thing with Bobby Backstabber, and you know, it's this, you know, disingenuous, you know, really out to kind of you know, screw you over, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. But I think what it comes down to is really understanding that Bobby, Bobby has fear, right? Bobby's concerned about how he looks. Maybe he doesn't exactly know what he's doing in a certain circumstance. Maybe it's something new. He's worried about his image. And so this is all a fear-based reaction, right? It also can be something that has been learned over a previous role or even through growing up that this was, you know, appropriate behavior. So think of it as all these behaviors actually stem from somewhere. And I often suggest, and what I've done myself is say, okay, if there's an issue with Bobby Backstabber and confront it, and not in an aggressive way, but be very specific on what the issue is and understand why it occurred. Because the key with Bobby is because he's fearful, he doesn't have trust. And if you can focus on building trust with Bobby and kind of building a bridge between you and him, he's going to redirect his backstabbing to other people. And I'm not saying that's great, right? But you also can't go and try to change the world, right? But you can try to say, what can I do here that is fair, that's balanced, and is going to protect myself from this backstabbing activity? You know, I agree. The last thing you want to do is backstab in return. I think right. uh, devolving to gossip and junior high school-esque behavior, it's not going to help your professional image, your professional brand, your relationships with your other colleagues. And, right. you know, much as I would like to say in my personal life, and unfortunately, I don't have to deal with this too much, but in my personal life, if I run into the random bit of gossip or backstabbing, I don't respond because I feel if you don't have the guts to say it's my face, it doesn't exist. But work's yeah. a different matter. You know, you got to mm-hmm. deal with it at work. 
And I agree with you that either saying, hey, if you've got constructive feedback for me, please tell me I want to do a good job for you. I want to excel on your team. I want to contribute to the initiative. You know, please, by all means, if you've got concerns, I'm happy to hear them. And I want to be a good contributor to this organization. I think that's Mm -hmm. more effective. And, And sometimes you do have to, however, take the high road and, you know, I have done this. I've said nice things about the guy behind his back, knowing it's going to get back to him. Oh, yeah. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can always find Mm -hmm. something nice to say about everyone. I had a boss that was, you know, the backstabber and ran into someone who said, oh, he's great. And I said, he is so intelligent. One of the smartest Mm -hmm. men I've ever met, which was true. Right. And man, that got back to him. Funny how that works. Mm, that is very interesting. No, that's a wonderful tip. Wonderful tip. You know, what other types of personas have you come across in this vein of kind of, I don't want to say evil bosses, had some drama bosses, but this is a whole different type. Yeah, these these are the nastier ones. You know, Power Trip Paul is, is similar to Bobby Backstabber in that he might be insecure. And sometimes oh, that might yeah. be... Because you're right, Andrea, something is driving people's behavior. But with Paul, it could be insecurity. It could be indiscriminate ambition. It could be something else. How do you deal with that guy? You know, I think Power Trip Paul comes in one of two types, right? One is depending somewhat on their age. And I'm not trying to stereotype here, but, you know, if if it's a young person, it's an up and comer, they're trying to prove themselves, right? And I think that oftentimes they're trying to refill their confidence cup all the time. And it's about this inexperienced, young, eager, that they can unintentionally be on a power trip, right? And I think that comes from lack of maturity. But on the other end of the spectrum, tends to be older, more mature individuals are on a power trip because that's where they get their self-worth. So you're right. It does go back to this insecurity, right? This inability to be okay with someone else succeeding, right? They want to get all the credit in a certain way. And there's times where, you know what, you actually, I think, need to make that gesture, right? And oftentimes in a public setting, right? You know, oh, Paul, yeah, he did this. It was fantastic. It was super helpful. And try to find a divide between the things that you can control, meaning if you can control Paul's power trips and give him the kudos when he needs, and then in turn, he gives you the latitude to do what you need to do for your role, that's great. If he's just being a power trip just to kind of be a micromanager, which we'll get into, that's a separate persona, that's a different story. You know, I agree. I think a lot of times these power trip people are insecure or threatened. And you've got to minimize the threat because they may be controlling information. They may be controlling access, whatever Mm -hmm. the scenario is, you've got to position yourself as being less of a threat, more of an ally. You know, to your point, public praise is great. These people Mm -hmm. do tend to be very image conscious and, you know, you may need that introduction. You may need that price file, whatever. So Paul's got to understand that you are on his side, at least is right. enough, enough 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause if he feels like you are looking to take the spotlight, he's going to double down and it's going to be twice as difficult. And then if it becomes a matter of you voicing the fact that you can't move something forward, let's say without calls inside or access to a file or something, now that becomes insubordination, right? So it's a slippery slope with our trip call because it's a very sensitive situation. And so it's a matter of controlling that phrase. It's almost like, you know, when you're dealing with a king, right? You know, you can go and do your own thing as long as you can monitor the phrase. Yeah. So do you ever recommend going around Power Trip Paul? Ooh, that's a good question. It really depends. I would say you could do a little bit of both. But it would have to be in an arena where Paul, I guess, doesn't even care, right? So if you're working, let's say, with another department that, you know, he doesn't do any dealings with or have a relationship with or even cares about, yeah, you can work around Paul in certain ways. But otherwise, I think unless there is clearly like a cultural change happening where the power trip calls of the world are going to be start to be moved out or moved in different areas, I wouldn't make a big endeavor in trying to go around him. It's more about using him as a smooth segue and keeping him on your side because there's no reason to burn any bridges, right? What are your thoughts? Totally agree. Burning bridges in general, avoid it at all costs. And you know, the thing too, you don't want to utilize your political capital within the organization going up against Power Trip Paul because probably mm -hmm. part of the reason he has power is he has political capital. Right, right. Totally agreed. So what about taking that down another step? What about micromanager Matt? Oh. Because he's like Paul on a whole different level. Yeah, and you know, this archetype is generally pretty insecure. Again, those folks that micromanage, either they love control and they're incredibly arrogant, or they're incredibly insecure. And they can be a tough one to work for. I will say, though, one of the best outcomes I ever had of working for a micromanager, and it was a she. So hmm. we'll, we'll call her uh, micromanager Maxine. Sure. But with, Mac, with Maxine, what I learned to do, she was just ferociously detail-oriented. She was new in her role, very ambitious. I triple-checked everything hmm. before I sent it to her. Yeah. And I learned that the hard way, quite frankly, because she had no hesitation screaming at you in front of a room full of people if you made you know, an error. Wow. So that instilled in me, all right, I'm not only going to double check my work, I'm going to triple check my work. Right. And that ended up being a habit I have taken with me throughout my career that, that occurred in my early 20s. And that was a good outcome for me professionally to double and triple check my work before submitting it or hitting sure. the send button. But the outcome with that micromanaging boss for me was over time, as she learned that she had trained me, she mm. did finally begin to back off. Right. So there is a component there where 
if they are micromanaging because they're detail-oriented, you can eventually, over time, step up your game and earn their trust. I totally agree. I think that there's two types of micromanagers. There's the ones that want things done a certain way, and they're in the process of training you. And they basically are doing it in a highly detailed fashion, oftentimes, because mm -hmm. they're yeah. big picture. It's on a lot of little micro things. And that, that ties to image too, because this is their identity. Their identity is this level of accuracy. There's their identity has to do with, you know, some level of consistency of output of their team and themselves. But on the other end of the spectrum, the other micromanager is the one that oftentimes is in their role due to a variety of reasons, but not because they're knowledgeable or experienced. So they micromanage things that are unimportant because they don't know what they're supposed to be focused on. And I think those are the worst ones because the ones that are trying to train you in their methodology, at least to your point, you can get something out of it, right? You can learn yes. somewhat of a new skill. But the other ones that are just kind of floating and lost, and so they'll say, you know, micromanage, well, I want this red. No, I want this blue. I want this red. I want this blue aren't focused on what they need to. And those can be the most stifling ones and frustrating ones. And you almost have to give them a job, right? You need to ask them for help, right? They're spending their time micromanaging you because they don't know what else to do or where to spend their time. So give them something to do. Think about a bigger picture project, challenge, question, and shoot it their way. Oh, I agree. And I think to some degree you can appeal to their ego I had a situation where I had a new company president, came from an engineering background, mm -hmm. almost no commercial experience whatsoever. Oh. And it was an engineering-driven company. So, you know, I get it. But I needed this gentleman to understand the commercial aspect if he was going to be successful and if our organization was going to be successful. So I asked him to present at a sales meeting figuring, oh, this is great. He can control his presentation. I'll, to some degree, let him control the agenda because it didn't really matter who went when. But also, by asking him to do that, he got a chance to interface with our sales organization. And my hope was, you know, and he was, at the end of the day, he was a decent human being. Sure. My thought was that if he could connect with some of these sales professionals, on a more personal level, that he would be able to start bridging that gap in his skill set and maybe just maybe back off the micromanaging. Right. Right. That's a good point. I mean, I'd say it's that it's also knowledge and exposure, right? And and your strategy of saying, hey, don't take my word for it, basically, right? Talk to these people. Yeah. Talk to the team. And now that trust in what you were trying to say to them, but maybe it was, there was that shred of doubt, it's validated by those conversations. And so now that, that micromanagement can potentially assuage because that trust is starting to go. And I will say when people are insecure, they tend to rely heavily on data without necessarily understanding the qualitative information that impacts the data or that goes into the data. And mm -hmm. 
especially if you can't drill down and you don't know the story behind the numbers, you might walk away with an entirely different conclusion. And I think there is that over-reliance on data. And I'm couching that very carefully because data is critical to decision-making, but the over-reliance on data with the micromanager can be because that's an area they don't know anything about. So they're going to lean on the numbers. Right. And if you can somehow educate or coach in a non-threatening way, you know, turn the spotlight on them or mm -hmm. ask them to contribute, then you can somewhat manage the micromanager. Right. Right. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's about knowing, you know, there's, there's two different approaches. You can just do what they say and live with it, mm -hmm. or you can help them be better by helping them understand what questions to ask. Like to your point with the data, right? If that was his focus, but, or her focus, but didn't really understand exactly how the data and the people intertwined, right? Because there is something yeah. to be for here's performance numbers, but then here's reality, right? And those can be two different things. That under helping them understand what questions to ask so they can flesh out the whole picture, right? And maybe mm -hmm. it's not black and white data, but anecdotal data, right? People data, then they become a better, better ball. Yes, yes. And you need to evaluate what your options are with the, the two sort of types of micromanagers. But hopefully these are some ideas that will prove useful either in coping or in managing that boss. Because the next one is the complete opposite. Have you ever worked for Absentee Al? Oh, my God. Yes. And, and in a way, I kind of didn't mind Absentee Al. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he was never there. And I kind of could run the department how I saw fit. Except for when he finally returned, and even with, you know, tons of emails or voicemails or whatever, he was never up to speed on what was really going on because so much had occurred. And so he would get very defensive about the fact that things were moving forward without him. But yet, if he wasn't engaged and we just had to wait for permission, nothing would have happened. So it is a catch-22 for sure. What about you? You know, I had an absentee Al when I was a, a new manager. And ah. at first I was really frustrated because I'm thinking, hey, I'm a brand new manager. I've got, you know, the third highest revenue team in the U.S. And you just don't return emails or phone calls. You're never around. You're never available. And I just thought, all right, Desiree, put on your big girl pants. You're an adult. Figure it out. Yeah. And what I did in that instance is... I kept him in the loop via email. Mm -hmm. There's that CYA piece of it. Oh, yeah. I started reaching out to other people. You know, it'd be, hey, I know this guy is a subject matter expert on large channel partners. So mm -hmm. I'm going to lean on him. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know how to coach and manage people. So I don't really know help with that. And, hey, you know what? I'm an adult. I don't need this guy to introduce me. I'm going to go out and work with the team and meet the channel partners and go out and do what I need to do and introduce myself and, you know, just treat it like a cocktail party where I don't know anyone, but I'm going to go in and shake hands and look people in the eye and ask questions and listen and learn. Right. And right. what I did do with absentee Al, I think it was either at the 90 day point or the 120 day point. I just mm -hmm. sent him a recap of my activities. 
Oh, nice. Okay. And what I didn't know at the time is he had to write a performance appraisal on my first, you know, 90 or 120 days. So I basically wrote it for him. Oh, nice. Oh, that's brilliant. So this was somewhat accidental, but you know, hey, if it works, it works. You learn from it, you replicate and you share. He trusted me implicitly. After that, he figured I landed on both feet, hit the ground running. I was a trusted lieutenant. He didn't second guess my decisions. All I had to do was keep him in the loop by email. Mm -hmm. If he needed me, he'd call me. Otherwise, I hardly ever talked to him. We got along beautifully. And, you know, you just got to admit the reality. This guy is not going to coach you or help you. And if you need coaching or helping or mentoring, find it someplace else. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If your boss is absent, you know what? They're there in a spirit alone, right? But it is a great opportunity to say, okay, no, I don't have this to lean on, but what am I going to do? What is my strategy, right? And you actually get that freedom of control and take advantage of it. Go and reach out to other people, build network, right? Develop a plan, implement the plan, right? And the nice part is, is that there are people around you, whether in your department or other departments, that you can bounce things off of. You'll find allies. You'll find maybe mentors in different places that you never would have considered. Don't think about working in a silo just because Al isn't there. Think about it as you're building your brand across the organization without any impediment. Yeah, and the one piece I would add to that, if you see someone that the boss gets along with really well, that's a good person to reach out to. But here's the other thing. And I did this, and I was glad I did it. Reach out to the person who is least like you. Ah. I had an absentee L for a boss, and there was the one colleague that was very different from me in terms of style and approach and everything else. And I thought, you know what? The guys that are like me, those are not the ones I need to talk to. I need to talk to the one who's not like me. Because that is a different perspective that I need to help me be successful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I reached out to this guy. I said, hey, I don't like your perspective on this particular aspect of the business. You know, can we block out 45 minutes to an hour? I just appreciate your general thoughts about the topic. He was a little surprised. And he, he'd been a little standoffish. But, man, not only did that build a bridge, but I gained valuable insight and a completely different way of looking at the situation because his perspective was not like mine. Right. So I'm I'm getting off onto a little bit of a tangent here, Mm -hmm. but don't always reach out to the people that are like you. Reach out to the people that are not like you. No, that is a great tip. It is a great tip. And, you know, being in marketing and sales myself, I would reach out to product development. I would reach out to accounting. I would reach out to other departments, finance, Because, A, you need them on your side. You're always going to interact with them at some point. And second, you need to understand their challenges, their obstacles, how you fit in, how your department fits in, and start building camaraderie, right, outside of anything else. And you might discover that there's one that will be a super great mentor, friend, colleague. But if you don't get out of your own silo, you'll never know that. Oh, exactly. And 
you know, what it has given you, and, and I know this from collaborating with you, it's given you a very well-rounded, robust understanding of the entire organization and how the different departments need to align so that the organization can meet its goals. And if you don't reach out, you're not going to get that perspective and that knowledge. Right. Oh, completely agreed. So what's our next? So our, yeah, yeah, I think our last archetype for this particular podcast is, again, one of the less savory bad bosses, mm. and that is Ladder Climbing Larry. Oh, yeah. This guy or gal, if it's a gal, they're going to mow down everyone in their path while they climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. And they are indiscriminately ambitious. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes it can be a positive or a negative. And I, I think there are some people who might be perceived as ladder climbers and technically are, but really have the organization's best interest at heart, right? They're actually just, yes. you know, bought into the organization's brand and the company. They, they want to be there for life and they really do care. And they can be misconstrued as a ladder climber because of that path. On the other hand, there are ladder climbers that are solely for the achievement of title or goal. And they are tenacious. I mean, they will sit and wait and be very strategic on what they do and when they do it, how they do it, because that's their goal. Their goal might not be to truly advance the organization or work collaboratively. They are truly out for themselves. And you have to be just very conscious of that. You know, you can feel like it's not right. It's a bad behavior. You don't feel really good about it or around it. But you have to recognize that it's there. You can't pretend yes. it's just going to go away because it will start impacting you sooner rather than later. I agree. You know, drive and ambition are not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And if someone has a drive to improve the organization, improve their department, improve sales, improve production, that is laudable. Yeah. But if someone has a drive that is personal for themselves alone and they are going to basically walk over, mow over, climb over any obstacle in their path. First of all, you need to identify, is, is this someone who's driven to succeed and make the organization succeed? Or is this someone who's driven just to, you know, get another notch on their resume? Right, right. So you got that piece of it. Figure out which one you got. And then I think if you've got the latter, the one that is only in it for them, mm -hmm. then you can still manage it. You can decide that instead of being a threat or a hurdle, mm -hmm. you can be an ally. Oh. Now, if you're going to attach your star to this man or woman, you need to think about that too. Because if they fall and you are closely attached, oh, yeah. you could fall with them. For sure. For sure. You know, and that's the thing. You need to really know whether... You know, they're also climbing the ladder in an honest way, right? You can, and to your point, you can be passionate, you can be driven, but if they are approaching this in a shady sort of fashion, you got to be careful on whether you do want to hit the wagon step. And so it goes back to, you know, giving them praise when they need it. You know, it goes back to understanding what lines they want to make decisions on 
and what things you have latitude to do. It's understanding those parameters. And sometimes you might go, hey, Larry, you know, go get them because you don't really want to be associated with that. You might see the end of the tunnel on that given their approach to ladder. But if, to your point, an advantage for you, you might want to hit your wagon to that. Yeah. I think that if you're going to do that, part of future proofing, if you want to stay with the organization, rather than always be that individual's, you know, trusted second lieutenant, is you still need to have a network within the organization. Right. So you need to make sure that you are still nurturing relationships elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So you, you cannot be a one-trick pony if you want to future-proof your career at that particular organization. Right. But we've all seen people that follow or that are brought along. And that's also a possibility. But... I'm not a big advocate for putting all your eggs in one basket. So even if you're on board with ladder climbing, Larry, I still think that there are no guarantees and it's still, you're going to be an asset to Larry, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. if you have relationships throughout the organization, because sometimes he might need you to exercise a little leverage or exercise a little charm Mm -hmm. or find something out. You just never know. Right. Right. And honestly, if you like Larry, you think he's a good guy, you think he or she is, is really going to actually make it to the top, let's say, you know what, if Larry's going to be the next CEO, do you want to, you know, be the next senior vice president? And you need to consider that. That is the component of a personal strategy. And actually, I'd say, yes, you really should not feel bad about that. You don't always have to go solo. No. There's somebody that you admire and letter climber Larry is the positive side of letter climber Larry, right? And you go, man, I, I do want to hitch my wagon. Do it. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't feel like because you're not doing it solely on your own because everyone needs comrade. Everyone needs someone else in the organization and that network to ever make it to that higher level in the organization. It never happens in a bubble. Totally agree. And there are cases where you could admire or respect someone's leadership style, business acumen, what have you, and there's nothing wrong with following that person Mm -hmm. and supporting that person and learning from that person. Right. And contributing to their success and the success of the organization. I mean, that's how you become a valued resource in your own right. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So I think that is the litany of bad bosses we wanted to cover on this podcast. We've been asked to talk about the predators, the harassers, and the really unsavory characters out there in the work world. So we're going to save that for our next podcast. Andrea and I, you know, we've talked about this. We've been a little hesitant to take on this subject, but We've been asked, so we're going to share our experiences and our thoughts. They certainly won't be a a complete handbook on how to handle this, but we can both speak from personal experience with some of those archetypes out there. So that'll be on our next Riveting Exchanges podcast. Any closing words for our listeners, Andrea? You know, I would say that as we go through this Bad Boston series, you know, we've only touched on, you know, 15 or so different types. and just keep in mind that 
other people out there are experiencing what you are. Don't feel like you are by yourself and you're stuck with this bad boss and you're the only one that is going through this experience. As you can tell, Desiree and I have, have met a myriad of bad bosses and honestly, a myriad of great bosses. And just keep in mind yes. that you can choose what you want to do and how you want to handle your own personal reaction to things. And it's about separating how you feel versus what you're going to do. Absolutely. And I sincerely hope that these conversations have been helpful. I hope to your point, Andrea, they've helped our listeners realize they're not alone. And you do have options in how you choose to react to these situations. Certainly, we've not been exhaustive in every option you have, but you do have the control to manage your career and manage your situation. And you can choose how you react to these scenarios and these types of individuals. And they're not all bad. And there are good things that can come out of bad bosses, whether it's professional development, whether it's new opportunities, whether it's giving you the nudge you need to move on, or whatever else may apply. So on that note, we wish our listeners well <laughs> until our next Riveting Exchanges podcast next month. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.